podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the Inside Try Show with Helen Murray. This is the podcast that takes a deeper look at the sport with in-depth interviews and special episodes to keep you entertained and inspired while you're training. Hello and welcome along to episode six of the Inside Try Show, powered by 33fuel.com. Powerful, tasty and natural sports nutrition. You can use the code InsideTry33 for a discount at checkout. So by the time you listen to this, Christmas will be out of the way. So for me now recording it, it is Christmas Eve and... um, it is, what time is it? 9.45 in the morning and it feels like I've been up since about four o'clock. I did a, an early run in the dark with my friend, which was really good. A bit of a clear the head, let's have a good chat, sort of prepare for the day ahead kind of a kind of a deal. And then I was at the butchers before 7am, so it really was an early run. And then I'm, I've managed to get all of the vegetables sort of, I don't know, peeled, chopped, put in pans that kind of thing um yeah and then lots of jobs to do so yeah that that to-do list is still probably about as long as my arm but um we're going to be catering for nine people in total tomorrow so that was quite a few parsnips and brussels sprouts and carrots to get prepared um all important mince pie news so i think i said that i had this jar of mince meat so uh, and i said that Rich was going to have to make the pastry because he's a lot better at making pastry than I am. Well, yesterday he did the honours. So we now do have homemade mince pies with homemade mincemeat. Delicious. So that's all good. And I think, what are my plans on Christmas Day? So we're hosting here, but I'm really hoping that I'll have time to go along to Park Run in the morning. That's definitely on my to-do list. And I think after recording this then there'll be a heck of a lot of editing to do but then I reckon I'll have time to hop on the turbo maybe for about 45 minutes I don't know that's the plan we'll see and if I don't have time then that is going to be the first thing to be ditched so there we go anyway this week's show I thought that I'd give you a bit of a double whammy as a a it's Christmas time b you might actually after the madness of Christmas, you might be on the turbo for a little bit longer. You might be out on a longer run. Just generally, you might have a little bit more time off. So I thought actually having a longer episode today is not going to be the worst thing. And you can always hit pause. And then the other thing was, I kind of wanted to get you in a good frame of mind for the new year. So you're going to hear two interviews. The first one is with an amazing woman called Jo Mosley and her story is just really really inspiring and it's all about overcoming a fear of failure and then linked in nicely with that is an interview with leading sports psychologist Helen Davis so that's going to help you thinking about the importance of training the brain as well as just swim bike run so should we get started should we kick things off and um, yeah you can hear this week's interview first of all with joe mosley so as an endurance athlete right you you love a challenge i think it comes with the territory but have you ever been too scared to do something because 
you're afraid of failing. I know I have, I know it. And, and sometimes those little voices in, in, in your head might hold you back in a race or maybe you're a bit scared to give mountain biking a go even though you've always dreamed about doing it. Or maybe in a different context, you're lacking in confidence to go for that promotion at work or or then going back to challenges and things. Maybe you've thought, I've always, always, always wanted to cycle to Holland. I don't know where that one came from, but just as an example. But maybe you're too scared to go alone. But I think whatever the doubts are, you are going to love this week's interview with Joe Mosley because Joe discovered a love for stand-up paddleboarding after turning 50. And in 2019, at the age of 54, she became the first woman to paddleboard from the west coast of England towards the east coast of England. So coast to coast on paddleboard. And not only that, but she also picked up litter along the way to highlight the amount of rubbish going into the sea from our inland waterways. And in the interview, Jo talks about overcoming self-doubt during her adventure and learning to believe in herself and back herself. So here it is. I was um, in the supermarket um, with my sons. They were 16 and 12 at the time. And my eldest son had just volunteered to do the food for his Duke of Edinburgh expedition, which, as many parents will know, means mum had volunteered to do the food. And we were walking around and it was that witching hour after school. You know, I was in my work shoes and my work clothes and I was tired and I just dropped my bags. I was in the um, the biscuit aisle of Tesco's in Skipton and I dropped my bags and I went, I just, I can't do this boys anymore. I was exhausted. I was not sleeping. I was anxious. I was overwhelmed. Um, I burst into tears and they looked at me like, get her out of here, get her out of here. You know, this is embarrassing. Um, and so I told a friend and, uh, you know, a few days later as a sort of, Oh, guess what happened? And she said, how much exercise do you do? And I said, well, you know, I spent a lot of time at the rugby pitch, um, ferrying the boys around, but I never actually did any consistent regular exercise for myself. Um, and um, so she lent me her very old indoor rowing machine that I think was probably destined for the tip. Um, and literally, I sat down on it every night, and then within two weeks, I was sleeping. And then I was just like, okay, this is good. I can sleep now. Um, which was extraordinary. I function on sleep. You know, I, I go to bed at 10 o'clock. It's like, okay, quick, go to bed now. <laughs> so that, that's how it started, desperation, complete desperation. And how did it progress then from doing a bit of rowing every night? <laughs> um, so after two weeks, I was sleeping and it was like, this is really good. I really, I enjoy this. So I just kind of, I joined the gym and I thought, this is nice. The machines actually were a bit better than the one she'd given me. And then... In the December of that year, my mum died, and uh, what would have been their wedding anniversary, May the 5th, I sort of started this rowing challenge to row a million metres in a marathon to raise money for Macmillan Cancer for my mum. And so I turned what had just been something to sleep into now the purpose of raising money for Macmillan, and we, we raised £10,000 with gift aid, which is extraordinary for something that is so boring. <laughs> so boring um 
literally people said to me I only sponsored you because it was the most boring thing anyone could do and I just kind of sponsored you because I would never ever do that so yeah I I, I went every other night for eight months and rode 10,000 meters after work which is madness absolutely that, mad that but is it is mad isn't it it is really crazy really really crazy and um and I just did it, and it was obviously very important for my grief. Um, sometimes I would cry, sometimes I would listen to music. I listened to quite a lot of Dolly Parton. Frozen was very in at the time, so I listened to that. Um, <laughs> and yeah, just, um, I just did it, and 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 it just gave me a purpose to keep doing something in Mum's memory. And um, People say, "What was the mot- you know? How did you keep motivated?" I I didn't need to consider motivation. Motivation was not an issue. It was just it, it was it, it was deeper than motivation. It was my soul saying, "You need to work this through," and this is this is the place that you can work it through. Um, so I did a couple of half marathons, and then on the first anniversary of Mum's death, I did the marathon in front of like family and friends, and raised all this money and then got in the car and drove home and said, right, it's Christmas now. Um, and that was five days before my 50th birthday. So it was a bit mad, really. <laughs> really a bit mad. So then after your 50th birthday, <laughs> yeah. then clearly the, the sort of the challenges didn't stop. But yeah. I guess a lot of people get to a- any landmark birthday, like 30, 40, yeah. 50, and yeah. you sort of almost want to set yourself another goal or, or there's something isn't there about those landmark birthdays so yeah. what what were your thoughts around turning uh, 50 what what were you thinking I want to go and do that I didn't really set myself any more goals I just thought right I just want to follow where this is taking me I thought right well I'll try different things so I went cycling and I did a bit more rowing but I not so much rowing, to be honest. So I did Great North Swim, and that was really fun, and I enjoyed that. So 2015, probably just a bit of swimming and a bit of just kind of normal life. 2016, in January, I injured my knee. So then I had to start again almost. It was like, okay, we're going backwards. So I started to set myself a project called Rain or Shine 30, where basically every day I would go out for half an hour. And I did this, um, and mainly it was just walking because that's all I could do at the time, (laughs) if I'm honest. Again, I really enjoyed it. Um, And then in the September of that year, I started paddleboarding um, because I'd read that it was really good for your knee and your strength and your core. And literally, the minute I stood on the paddleboard in the lakes, I was like, wow, this is fantastic. Um, Didn't Didn't you want to do surfing there initially? Yes, I did. I've always, I mean, I've always wanted to learn to surf, um, but I always thought that I was, um, you know, I wasn't the slim, blonde, beautiful Cornwall, you know, Californian girl. I was this sort of um, chubby northerner that did not look cool and is never cool. And so it was just never something that I felt I could do. Um, But it was always in the back of my mind. Um, But I knew that there was no way that I was fit enough or strong enough. Um, So paddleboarding was like, okay, this is a first step. This is like a watery thing. And then I did learn to surf. So my 53rd birthday present from the family was my surf boot camp in Wales. And it was really fun. So it was in the June and my youngest son had just done his GCSEs. So he was off doing something, but I can't remember what. Um, And on this course, there were six of 
Buzz, there was a couple, um, a single woman in her 30s and two 16-year-olds. So they literally were younger than my son or the same age or whatever, yeah. And um, and they would say to me, Joe, you just need to believe in yourself. And I was like, yeah, thank you, Ollie. They were both called Ollie. And um, I was like, thank you. Yes, I really do. And I literally was just getting so frustrated. I just couldn't, I couldn't stand up. But I also just didn't let go. And obviously, when you're surfing, you actually at some point have to let go of the board to stand up. Otherwise, your arms are just holding onto the board. And I was so scared to literally let go to give myself the chance of standing up. But finally, on the last day, I did. And I surfed for four seconds. And it was extraordinary. And it was so amazing. And when I look back, it's just like tiny. But for me, it was momentous. It was like having the courage to actually let go and give myself the, the chance to stand up having fallen off and hit my head and hit my body all along um so yeah that was my 53rd birthday present and then um then the paddleboarding thing um my paddleboarding idea came along and um, and i did it <laughs> so the, the moment that those four seconds mm. did it like did it almost sum up everything that you had been yeah been trying to achieve yeah yes it did it did it did because I I like that bit where you're going out back into the wave Mm -hmm. and you know that even if you've not made it that time before whether you have or you haven't you're going back out to try you're walking with your board and you're going back out and you're going to say I'm going to give myself another chance and this time I might do it or I might not but I'm going to try I'm going to give myself another chance and I'm going to try and be better at it and I'm going to try and incorporate what I've just learned but I'm giving myself the chance so I love that walking back out feeling like I'm a warrior whether I rode the wave or I didn't ride the wave I am I'm a warrior for trying if that makes sense um and I love that feeling and so um so yeah, even though I'm 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 really not a good surfer, I do enjoy it. Um, paddleboarding, I am better, and I generally don't injure myself, so it's like a safer option <laughs> really? for me. Yeah, it's just a safer option. So it's something really unique that yeah you know, that you only you really only get that on the water. Yeah, yeah, it's very it's such a raw feeling. It's such an in the moment. All I have to think about is this wave. All I have to think about is getting there and trying and just keeping on trying. I learned so much from it that you just keep on trying whether you're good or bad. And it doesn't, it almost doesn't matter. It's like the victory is in the trying for me. The outcome is the outcome. And sometimes it's yay and sometimes it's, you know, a face plant. But the victory for me is in the trying and so that then translates into other things in my life where I think I'm going to try it because by trying it, I've already won against all those doubts because I'm such a self-doubting kind of person. You know, I doubt everything about myself, really. Um, so for me, the victory is in the trying, yeah. And hmm. Do you think it's helped you to be stronger? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's helped me mentally very much so. I just feel more confident about trying things, more confident of my own ability. Paddleboarding mm. then, stand-up mm. paddleboarding. So you said yeah. that the, the first time you did yeah. it, yeah, just describe that feeling. Um, so my knee had been hurting, uh, but I wanted to try it. Um, we were in the lakes um, and I was with 
I think there was two or three other women my sort of age. I just remember standing there thinking, wow, I'm in nature. I'm in the wa- on the water. Um, I feel really strong. I feel really calm but uplifted at the same time. I feel I can do this. Um, and I just, yeah, I came away just buzzing, absolutely buzzing. And that was September the 25th, 2016. And it felt like a stepping stone to the surfing as well as being great itself. Why do you love it so much, that feeling? Because I'm, again, in the moment. Um, you can think more paddleboarding than you can with surfing. I think with surfing, it's like you can't think of anything else. And that's brilliant. You're just like, I just have to stand up or I have to paddle. You know, you can't. Whereas with paddleboarding, you can think of other things at the same time. And and when I was paddleboarding coast to coast, I... I um. I didn't listen to music, I didn't listen to podcasts, I just listened to nature and I also began to listen to myself more. You know, you can hear your own voice really, uh, whereas surfing, there's no time for that. Um, paddleboarding, I think you're uplifted, but you're calm at the same time. Um, and whatever the environment is going on, you can be part of it. Um, and you're you're moving under your own steam, which is lovely. Um, and sometimes it's, you know, on the waves, it's choppy and you've got the waves of the sea and on the canal, it's, it's calmer. Um, I go to a reservoir nearby, which is quite exposed. So that can be very windy and you're sort of fighting against it. So there's different, the water dictates each experience. You know, I can come with my expectation, but the water tells me what kind of paddle it's going to be, um, particularly on the sea. And so somehow it just makes you realize that you you've got to just go with what it is and realize that you're small and yet you're also capable at the same time where did the idea for the coast to coast challenge come from so i decided to do that at christmas 2016 because i thought it would be a really cool thing to do um and i told a couple of people and they were like that sounds so boring and that sounds really difficult and I'm not sure you could do it and the logistics seem really difficult so and and I just put it away literally put it away as an idea and I was like yeah yeah you're probably right you know the rowing was very manageable it was in a gym I didn't have to ask anyone to help me and I'm very as a single mum I'm very like no I have to do this all on my own um so um so I put it away for about three years and then I did all these other different things um, with the running and the surfing. And also during that time, in a six month period, five of my friends died um, and they were all from different areas of my life. And it focused the mind really that life is short and precious and you don't know what's around the corner. And so I just thought, well, why not just live it as fully as you can? And I just thought, why are you waiting to lose 10 pounds or waiting to turn into something that you're not in order to learn to surf? You might be rubbish. <laughs> and that has proven so. But <laughs> you might just do it. And at least you can say you tried. And, you know, if you are rubbish, you never have to do it again. Um, and so I just kind of feel like that was um, that was clarity for me. And so I just then, after I'd done the surfing, at the beginning of this year, I started to think about what I'd like to do when my frozen shoulder was unfrozen. And I thought, well, what is it I want to do? 
And then I just said to a friend, I'm going to, you know, the idea I had three years ago, I'm going to do it. And he said, oh, what, Liverpool to Leeds? And I went, no, Liverpool to Ghoul. And I actually didn't know where the journey went from Leeds to to Ghoul. I just was like, you know, I don't know, Castleford, how does it it get down there? I have no idea how that happens. I don't even think I've even been to Castleford. And I see I'm going to do it. But interestingly, if I'd done it in 2016, I think it was for my ego. I think it was about being the first person and the first woman. I mean, I am the first woman, but that's okay. That That's just like, that it just is, is kind of, and I say that more just because I'm 54 and I try and think, you know, for, for women my age. But I think I would have been trying to prove something to myself in 2016 and to prove to other people. But in the inter- intervening years, I think what I'd learned was I didn't need to prove anything to anybody. I just needed to do it for myself. And I think I'd already knew that I was good enough and this was really a different reason. So I'm glad in a way I left it because I think I came at it with a much more mature attitude. I know, I'm 54, you'd think I'd learn by now. I think I came from a place of this is just going to be interesting and joyful and I'm going to fundraise for a surf therapy charity and I'm going to pick up litter and I'm just going to live in the moment and just relish the chance of literally paddleboarding for 11 days. So I kind of trust that the timing was right this time. Generally, what was it on average? How many miles a day did you do? Uh, so I had this really good plan that I was going to do 16 miles a day. Yeah. I think in the first day I did 10. Um, so some days 10. Uh, the first the first weekend we just had thunderstorms. So um, And I was getting messages from people saying, oh, did you postpone? And I'm like, this is my summer holiday. I don't have time to postpone. I'm not an adventurer. You know, I just have to do it when I do it. Um, so some days 10. One day I did 25 miles um, because that was just a very, very, very special day. Um, and then the next day I think I did 9 or 10 and I just said, I don't have it in me today. Um and interestingly, my plan was to do it in 11 days and to finish in Ghoul at 2 o'clock on the Tuesday. And I finished at 5 o'clock on the Tuesday. So ultimately, I made up the time despite the challenges and things. So, um, yeah, it wasn't quite as regular as I had planned. What was the most challenging aspect of it? The thunder and the storms weren't great because they were just like the first day. It was just like, whoo, and the second day, whoo. And then the third day was just gorgeous and sunny. And then I hit um, Wigan on the fourth day when it was not only raining, but there was a lot of weed. Um, And if you ever see some of the pictures, it looks like I'm paddleboarding on a green carpet. In fact, a friend's dog came and she thought it was a green carpet that she went throwing herself into the canal um, because of this green weed. It was just grim. It's, I think it's an invasive species. So that day was really very difficult. Um, for two or three days, I was just like going through this weed and it was really, yeah, that was difficult. How so, did you get? Yeah, a lot of tears. Um, I cried quite a lot a couple of days, particularly when I went wrong and went the wrong direction. And um, And I got myself on video going, you're not a mistake. You made a mistake. You're not a mistake. You made a mistake. This is just this is just a hiccup. But that was probably the lowest that day. Just thinking, you know, you can't even go in the right direction on a canal. This is just a little bit bad. But then after that, it just got better. Was that day? Did you ever want to quit? 
No, um, because I listened to a podcast with Yorkshire Rose, and they did a podcast and said in that podcast, believing in ourselves was our superpower. And so I decided that I was going to believe in myself. And for me, that is just such a huge leap of faith, like so big. I don't naturally believe in myself. And so, but I said, right, okay, you admire these women. They are amazing. They're from Yorkshire. You can believe in yourself. And I just kept saying to myself, you will do it. So I never doubted I would do it. I doubted whether I'd do it in the time. And I was thinking, do I have to ring my bosses and say, can I have an extra few days? Um, but I never, there was this unusual core of self-belief, which is unusual for me. Um, really unusual but there was just this inner core that I kept saying to myself you've 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 made mistakes in life you failed a lot of things um you've not fulfilled lots of ambitions that you have you know your life hasn't taken the, the course that you expected it you're not doing you know you, you, yeah whatever but this is not your time to fail and I kept saying that to a friend of mine I said this is not my time to fail I've done that, and there may be other times to fail, but this is not my time to fail. And I just believed it. And so, yeah, the Yorkshire Rose made me believe in myself, so I blame them. <laughs> <laughs> and what would you say that the 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 whole sort of journey, um, what would you say you learnt the most from it? Um, is that English? <laughs> yeah, that's my kind of English. <laughs> I love a good, yeah, I love a good disjointed sentence. <laughs> it's great when you're menopausal. At least you finished it. At least you finished it. Um, what did I learn? I learned to trust myself. Trust my judgment. Uh, you know, yeah, just trust that I might not do it in the way that I expect it to happen. I might not do it as quickly or as brilliantly but just to trust that the next bit of the life journey that I have ahead of me will be okay. I will, I have it within me to make it okay. And if, you know, even if the okay is literally I can feed myself, <laughs> you know, but I'll make it okay. I, I've got it within me um, to trust myself and not necessarily plan every aspect of something to, to leave room for the magic to leave room for the unknown like the Leeds and Liverpool Canal is 200 years old um 203 years old it has been so well documented by walkers and cyclists and narrowboat owners there's books on the heritage there is a website where I could see every single lock and every single distance I used it for the basics of the logistics of the planning but I very deliberately didn't want to know everything because I wanted to leave room for the magic and leave room room for the unexpected and leave room to see Bingley Five Rise or see Wigan 21 Locks for the first time with my eyes rather than saying oh yeah I know that mm. you know I actually wasn't quite sure whether Wigan 21 Locks went up or down and that was okay because when I got there it was fairly obvious that it went up you know <laughs> I, I left room for knowledge gaps and that was amazing and so now when I think of something I'm like there are things I don't know that will happen and some will be good and some will be bad and I'll handle both of them. And I guess that's what I learned. The locks, Joe, mm. were they a pain in the backside? Um, 
one or two not so but when you had quite a few you know one after the other yeah getting in and out but actually Wigan I didn't obviously I just walked up the whole whole thing um litter picking that evening because there's just no way because I would have been in for about five seconds and out again um after a while I must admit poor Grace which, which is the name of my board was a bit like oh I just like threw her in at the end you know coming into Leeds was another thunderstorm um and I was a bit like oh god how many more locks today just to get to the end and I just the you know poor Grace I did throw her in and and so the, the hardest locks were probably on the navigation because they weren't really set up for um, paddleboards. So, you know, it was a really big drop getting in and out. Yeah, so how do you so, do that? Yeah, that was a bit hard. But do you, how, how do you um, do that bit, Joe? When it's very high, you basically look and then you, you tie the paddleboard to your leg, obviously, so that's your leash. Then I would just throw her in. And then I would, sometimes there would be ladders, so I would climb down. Um, Or sometimes if there wasn't a ladder, I would just have to hold my breath and just sort of like kind of just go down. Yeah, (laughs) jumpish, jumpish. I mean, Jason, who's the first chap to do it and who's amazing and has been just the most extraordinary support to me, he can just get come up to the wall of the uh, the canal and just step off and he's like oh you'll be doing that by the end and I'm like yeah okay Jason well I still haven't done that um but yeah but I'm glad because the harder locks were at the end so by then I was a bit more confident I was a bit like okay I'll just get on this somehow yeah talk to me about the um two minute litter pick that you do as well so why did you want to incorporate that in your sort of challenge um because I just I, I'd read that the the 80% of what we find on the beaches and what goes into the sea um, comes from the inland waterways. I live in the centre of the country. Um, and a lot of people say to me, oh, I don't live near a beach, so I can't do a litter pick. And I'm like, no, you can do it literally wherever you are. And so I wanted to show that this beautiful kind of green blue ribbon that we have going, you know, from one coast to the other um, is a source of litter getting getting into the oceans. So by making a difference, by picking it up, it was hopefully saying to people, look, it makes a difference. We're stopping it getting to the ocean. Um, and again, it was about, um, I wanted to do fundraising, but I also wanted to do something physically each day to show. I didn't pick up every single piece of litter or, or I would have, you know, not got not, there. Not, no, no. no. <laughs> but I wanted to show what was there and what I saw and what was most obvious and, and what was rare and what was funny and what was not so funny what shocked you the most litter wise just the effects on the bird life you know mm. I saw dead birds and I saw lots of nests with a lot of rubbish in and you'd see these beautiful little moor hens you know going around you know the the bottles of energy drink or the, the disposable cups and it's like this is their world and we are literally you know harming them and I know they're resilient or people say they're resilient but you know nests full of stuff and so yeah I think that was the 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 shocking is it was the effect that was the shocking and there were certain areas where you just looked and it was just like rose you, you know because the the litter goes to the edge of the canal it was just all in one place and and the beauty is that you can't usually get to that place unless you're on a kayak or a canoe or a paddleboard because um it's not necessarily near the towpath. So the towpath might be clear, but it's over under the reeds that I could 
get to and pull them out and mm, bit grim. If someone had said to you, let's say 20 years ago, Joe, you're going to be an ambassador for British canoeing in your <laughs> mid 50s. What would you have said? Oh, God. Yeah, you must be joking. I mean, I, I did kayak in my 20s. That's the thing. I was so into this sort of thing in my 20s. And then I had this huge gap uh, where I just kind of lost lost myself, really. Um, so I think I would have probably in my 20s said, wow, that's cool. 20 years ago, that would have been in my mid-30s. It would have just been unthinkable. It would have been like, well, yeah, maybe I could have done that in the past but not in the future um so yeah i know that's really amazing that i'm an ambassador yeah it's really funny actually because i have the you know i have a thing a cagoule with it on and i wore it a lot to get people to talk about what i was doing and and they're like oh what does that mean and i'm like oh i just try and encourage people to do it and and um hopefully i have hopefully i have yeah yeah did, did they did they see what you were doing and just think wow we need her (laughs) <laughs> yeah British canoeing no I applied I applied um so that was um back in the Marchy April time I just applied and again I didn't think that um it would be me but I it was like well why not why not you know why why not be why not try just just give yourself a go you know if you don't try you don't know and I was still going to do the um the the trip paddleboard the north um and it just was, you know, lovely timing. And I said, look, I'll talk about paddleboarding. And, and yeah, they chose me. So it was all just very, it was just like, I don't know, the world was shining on me. Do you often do headstands on your paddleboard? I try. Still haven't <laughs> managed it. You haven't? Have... You've not done one yet? Not a proper one. I do try. I need, you see, now my sons aren't available. They can't hold the board. Um, so after I did that one that um, was a semi one, and my fro- my shoulder froze again. So, um, and it's quite painful gripping on the board with your frozen shoulder. So I need to try again. I just do need somebody just to, to, because I'd rather do it in the sea than the canal, if I'm honest. Um, because if I fall in, it would be safer okay. just because of the depth of the canal. Um, so I'm just going to keep, yeah, I just need someone to come and just slightly steady it or get one of these anchors. I think you can get an anchor to steady it down. Um, but I do squats and I'm learning to do, and I do planks and I do sort of just dance a little bit, uh, (laughs) dancing on the paddleboard recently. So yeah, I just want to make it fun for people. You know, we can all get very serious. So, um, Oh, what's the next challenge? The next challenge is to learn to be a paddleboard instructor and even just taking women out on the water who've done a bit or who don't have their own board. I've experienced that. I want to give back now. And maybe in two years, I'll think of another like big adventure with it. But I feel it would be just better to give back for a while. I've gained so much. It's time for me to give back. And if anyone who has never, never done the sort of adventure that you set yourself what would your advice be to them? Um, obviously, I would say do it. But I realise that that's such an easy thing for somebody to say who has the resources and the time and the ability to, um, you know, that whole kind of the only thing that's holding you back is yourself. Well, actually, for a lot of people, that isn't the case. There's money and finances and circumstances and responsibilities. So 
I would say, what about if you can't do a big, big thing, do lots of little things? You know, you break it down and build upon it. But I would also at the same time have to say not to wait for other people's permission or approval. You know, that's what happened in 2016. I was waiting for somebody to say, yeah, great idea, go for it, I'll help you. And I, when I decided in January, I literally didn't know how I was going to do it. I didn't know the logistics. I had no idea where I was going to stay. Um, but once you make a decision and you give yourself permission, the world does somehow just kind of rise up and say, you know, come and stay with me. Or Fritz said, can I make the film with you? And so I would say, yes, do it. But with greatest respect to people's circumstances. And also the question is, would you do it if nobody else knew about it? And would this journey for me have been as amazing as it was if nobody knew about it? And yes, it would. I I ended a different person than I started. But was the day-to-day paddle by paddle, stroke by stroke, picking up litter, going through the tears, going through the ups and downs, was that in itself life-changing? Yes. And even if nobody else knew about it. And so you need to know that it's about something deeply internal rather than for external validation. And in what way, Joe, was it so life-changing? Because I believed in myself and I backed, I, no, I didn't just believe in myself, I backed myself. And as a mum, you know, I've always backed other people. And if you'd said to me 12 years ago when I was a very new single mum, you know, you can do something and I wouldn't have believed you because going to the shops was difficult. Um, oh God, this will get a bit deep, but I back, I didn't just believe in myself because you can believe in yourself, but it's, I backed it. I actually said, this is something I want to do. I put my money where my mouth was. I announced it to the world. I backed myself. And I don't think I've done that for decades, really. So, yeah, I, I, I kind of backed it and I gave myself the chance to face the unknown. I mean, I know it's only a canal, it's not the Atlantic Ocean, but it's still the unknown. I didn't know if I was strong enough. I couldn't, I couldn't put my coat on in January, so, you know, properly because of my frozen shoulder. And I still said I was going to go and paddleboard across the country. It was like, can I mad? But, you know, I believed and I backed myself to do it. And I think that's what's changed, really. Not waiting for other people's permission and sort of just saying, yeah, go for it. Win or lose, the winning is in the trying for me now. I think Joe is just fabulous. And if you enjoyed that interview, if you are feeling just a little bit inspired after listening to Joe Mosley, then do let her know on social media. She is at Healthy Happy 50. And I know she would love to hear from you. And as a little bit of a treat for you at this time of year, I thought, you know, I, I do want to get you set and sorted for the year ahead, get you thinking a bit more, pushing your boundaries, helping you to get mentally prepared for race season or whatever other challenges you are thinking about signing up for, or maybe you have already signed up for. So with that in mind, I mentioned earlier on that I've been speaking to Helen Davis, sports psychologist from thinkbelieveperform.co.uk. 
and she's got some really really useful tips so if you are listening to this now on your longer run or longer turbo good news you can carry on there's there's a lot more material to come to keep you going before we hear that interview don't forget that you can get a discount at checkout over at 33fuel.com using the code inside try 33 it's all about natural sports nutrition products so no chemical tastes no junk head over to 33fuel.com grab yourself a winter survival bundle with protein and daily greens and protein bars to help you recover and then if you use the code inside try 33 you will get a discount at checkout so we might all be really good at swimming biking running whatever you are into whatever you do but do you actually ever stop and spend some time training your brain and getting mentally prepared to get into the right mindset when you're racing. The next interview today is with Helen Davis, who is a leading sports psychologist. She's worked with the likes of Lucy Gossage and also age group world champion Jill Fullen, who credits Helen for playing a massive helping hand in her win at the Ironman World Championships in 2019 in Kona. So here is the second interview on today's show with Helen Davis. So Helen, a lot of people will be thinking about goal setting for for the year ahead. They might have like their A races planned out, their B and their C races. How do you go about goal setting? Well, if a client comes to me and says, you know, I want to set some goals, I feel like I need a focus, I tend to divide goals into kind of three sections when I work with people. So the first section will be the outcome goal. So the outcome goal is the thing that excites them you know this is the thing that gets them out of bed in the morning and makes them want to train in the pouring rain in November because they've got a race coming up you know it's it's exciting and it's motivating but it's not necessarily in their control they don't know whether they're definitely going to be able to succeed at it so that will probably be our starting point you know we, we'd look at that um then then kind of if you imagine the sort of tier below um outcome goals that would be performance goals so with performance goals um, I will ask people about, well, how, how will you know if you're on track for your outcome goal? You know, what, what if you were going to do some monitoring around your performance, what, what would you look at? And they would be what I call performance goals. So they might have a numerical value to them. You know, it may be a specific time or, or a length of time that they're wanting to, to race for or um, compete with. Um, and so they're, they're, they're the, sort of the performance goals, the ones that are challenges, um, and it's, am I on track? How am I doing on my step journey towards the outcome goal? Um, and then finally, we'd look at process goals. And those process goals are the ones that are most directly within an athlete's control. Those are the things that they need to do on a day-to-day basis to help them try and achieve the goal. So they're, they're things that they can particularly focus on day-to-day. So, you know, that might be, you know, their nutrition, how, many, how much effort they put in when they train, how long they go for, how many times a week, that sort of thing. How important is it, do you think, to have this side of it as well as just the normal sort of swim, bike, run training? Well, I mean, there is an awful lot of evidence that says that setting goals um, can make quite a big difference to performance outcomes. Um, 
but they need to be kind of effectively done. Um, and the more people have goals which are, yes, challenging, but also flexible and that are monitored regularly over a consistent basis, the more likely you are to have better performance outcomes as a result of that. So for example, just writing down your goals, that in itself means that you are more likely to achieve them. And would you write them down anywhere? Do you have to, like, should we be telling other people about the goals as well? I think sharing your goals is a great idea because having a support network that can help you try to achieve those goals or maybe try and motivate you on that rainy day in November when you don't want to go out running um, are all part of helping you to be to, to support with your goals, but also to review goals, you know, with other people as well. So um, I would definitely say share them. I mean, I, I have clients that, that do a, a range of things with their goals. Some people like to put them as their screensavers on their computer. They might have them on their phone. Some people like to put them up in their downstairs toilet so that they can look at them on a regular basis just to remind themselves um, of, of how they're doing. I love that. So for someone who might not necessarily come to you, but they are interested in improving their on the sort of psychology side of things, the mental side of things, on a practical level, where do they even begin? Well, I always say the number one thing that I think is to start listening to your inner voice, you know, the inner voice, that kind of voice that chats away in your head all the time that's there and start noticing. So listen and notice because that that really is the first step because if you and, and you know if, if you can jot down thoughts and, and and things that you're having, that's even better because what you can then do is you start noticing patterns. Um, and you, people generally find that they do have habits within their thinking, um, particularly maybe when they go to a race or a competition or they're under a pressure, a stressful environment, that you kind of you have what I call default thinking, where you kind of naturally go to a certain place in your in your head. So if you start noticing those things as I say, jot them down, um, and then you start looking at what kind of thinker you are. So that's that. That's sort of the first stage that I I start off with people is, um, and I would you know say to people is that start learning about yourself as an athlete and what you're like, and then you can start looking at yourself and saying, okay, well, what can I do with this information? So let's use we can use me me uh, as an example. Um, I would say. I'm yeah very much a worrier um but also I guess before a race I would be the one in the portaloo 10 times again the first thing is is you know, listening to some examples of of races that you have had where you talk about the your experiences that you have in your races and I guess through kind of questioning, I would find out from you, you know, what, what are you saying to yourself at that moment? You know, what do you think it is that's causing your anxiety? Um, and through those conversations, I would start people thinking about the influence that their thinking has upon your emotion and your behaviours. So, you know, there's a, there's a, I, I sort of use a triangle and it's like there's a relationship between those three things and really beginning to understand that how much of an impact your thinking can have over, over those behaviours and, and thinking, that we can look at that and say, okay, well, let's take an example that you've just described where you're in the toilet, you know, before a race. Let's try and identify what those thoughts were that you were having and now describe to me the emotions, the feelings that that, that was giving you and how was that affecting your behaviour. So, you know, in your case, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, behaviour is, you know, I'm sitting on the toilet all the time. Your emotion is, I'm really scared, I'm feeling really anxious. 
And I'd say, well, what, what were you telling yourself to give yourself those behaviours and to give yourself that anxiety? And really try to identify those thoughts, which is where the noticing and the listening comes in. And then we, we can see that that triangle, that performance triangle of thinking, feeling, behaviour isn't really working for you. It, you know, it, it's possibly giving you outcomes that you're not happy with or uh, behaviours that you're not wanting, feelings that are uncomfortable that, 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 uh, that you're experiencing. So I, I can then start working with you to say, okay, well, let's start looking at this thinking and, and thinking about how we could change some of those thoughts to give you the emotions and feelings that are more helpful to you and behaviours and outcomes that you're wanting. And, what, and then we can have a what, triangle that's more effective for you. I like that, an effective, an effective triangle. And what sort of um, things then could I start thinking about to, to switch things around? So again, I, I, it's, it's very hard for me to just say, oh, I do this and I do that because you know, working with somebody, it's about the relationship that I build and I would get to know you and the kind of person that you are. And obviously that, that gives me, uh, I, I learn about it, so it, it gives me ideas about particular kind of interventions or approaches that I think would be of best benefit for, for, for that person. Um, I think if you were a particularly anxious thinker one of the first things I would do is is start looking at, at your thinking and, and noticing the types of thinking that you are having um, we can get into a lot of negative thinking spirals and and I could look at you know what what sort of types of thinking that you were particularly having and using effective thinking probably as a starting point and then from that I would then hopefully work on your personal resources that you have that we could build into that to build confidence and to help that thinking become more effective it's really is is, i always think it's absolutely fascinating because it is a a a side of it that i think loads of us just ignore or neglect um and are, are there any sort of practical things that someone can start bringing in to you know, almost to their weekly training program for the mental side of it to train the brain. Well, I, I, you know, confidence is something that I go back to time and time again because it's an absolutely essential ingredient for performance. I believe that you can work on confidence on a day-to-day basis. It's not just something that you can expect that will just appear come race day. Um, it, it's something that can be you can drip feed to yourself over time, and training is is, a, is an absolutely great example of, of of doing that. So, we you know we we lots of people have a tendency to they have a bad training session to focus on all the things that went badly, to focus on things that that didn't go well. Um, a way that you can start investing in your confidence is by saying, okay, I've had a poor training session, but what things did go okay in it? And what things can I still take away from it? Um, and starting to get yourself thinking in, in helpful ways like that will all help to boost your confidence. Because if you're just always thinking about the things that went badly, over time that will chip away at your belief. And going on the confidence thing, something like um, you know a big accident or a big injury that maybe leaves you out for, I don't know, three months or something, that can bash someone's confidence so much can't it so how do you help someone back from that do you know i've actually worked with uh well a lot of triathletes and a lot of cyclists who have had uh you know big falls or crashes or incidences where um it it 
it has absolutely not not knocked their confidence and quite understandably you know if you experience physical pain from that and have an ongoing rehabilitation as a result of that that, that can be really different uh, really difficult uh, one of the um, I, I actually Johnny Brownlee uh, is somebody that I I quote quite a lot because he's had numerous injuries over uh, over the years and one of the things that he has said is I'm I'm going to be the best injured athlete that I can be and it's a very good way of thinking at it because when people find themselves either out with injury or or um, not able to do things as a result of something being able to look at what you are doing rather than what you're not doing can be really, really helpful so that you are focusing on the little steps that you are taking. And I would certainly say for somebody who is venturing back out onto the bike for the first time after a, of a crash is small steps, you know, and it may seem absolutely minuscule compared to what you're used to doing, but, but and being kind to yourself and that actually it's okay to feel scared and it's okay to feel feel nervous about those things. Um, so, yeah, small steps, being kind to yourself and gradually see it as a process where you will build up. And again, I go back to effective thinking again, but, but learning to, to, to think effectively in those moments, um, picking up on the things that you have achieved, however small they might be ticking them off mentally and saying I'm on you know I'm making a small step towards getting back to where I want to be and that would almost be like the progress goals again wouldn't it the ones that you can actually measure yeah it, absolutely yes and you know you know progress goals do give you more confidence because they're tangible they're things that you actively are within your control and you can work on them what about um with people when you know in the middle of a race if things are not going to plan, how do you get your brain back in the game? So preparation, I go back to preparation all the time, psychological preparation. Now, we, we, we can't prepare for every eventuality, particularly in a race, you know, as long as an Ironman. But, but what you can do is psychologically prepare yourself for moments like that. So that will be something that I might work on with somebody in terms of um, – them thinking about things that worry them about what might happen mid-race. So, you know, I suddenly, you know, the pain's kicking in, I can't, can't stop thinking about the pain or, um, you know, I, um, I'm i worried about how much longer I've got to go and am I going to be able to do it. You know, these are all psych genuine psychological things that, 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 that people have that are difficulties. So looking at what those difficulties might be in advance and talking through those scenarios and saying, well, if this happens, then I'm going to do this. It gives you a course of action to take if that occurrence occurs. So rather than, you know, pain coming in and you go into kind of panic mode or, you know, and your thinking can go all over the place, you actually have an action plan that you can then take because you've planned for it and you've talked it through and you know what you're going to be doing. Again, that can give you inner confidence before you start a race because you're feeling prepared. And those feelings of preparation mean that, um, yes, I'm physically prepared, but I'm also psychologically prepared. I like to think as well that, you know, when you've, when you've learned how to think effectively, you, 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 you can get much better at turning things around. You know, I mean, I, I work with some people and uh, we, you know, particularly when it's a very, very long race, and we say, you know, you can allow yourself to, 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 to wallow in misery for a while. You know, if you want to do that, 
that's okay. But but you learn that actually, well, I can wallow in misery, but it's actually making my race quite miserable. I'm going to, and it may even be, you give yourself a physical, a physical something in the distance. Okay, and when I get to that lamppost, I'm going to stop my misery and I'm going to go into my effective thinking, which I know I can do because I practiced it. And then I'm going to take myself down a more helpful route. And are there any little sort of, I don't know, tips or or nuggets or anything like that that you might give to someone to get through that thinking in wallet? Then then how do they, what do they start thinking about or what should they start doing to get back in that good place? Well, a lot of it is, is, um, is taking yourself down more helpful lines of thinking. So I would um, certainly say to people to, um, well, there are a number of different things they could do. One thing might be that they start focusing on you know, technique, for example, that actually um, you know, really start focusing on, or narrow it down on something that they, maybe they've been working on in training that, that, that they you know, that you could then improve that and, and, and t- you know, take your focus there. Some people like to distract themselves completely. Um, so, you know, if, uh, I don't know, you can take yourself away to your ideal holiday destination and, and uh, imagine what that might look like, you know, and think about something completely different. Again, this, these would be conversations that I would have with people and learn what sort of individual, you know, what sorts of things that they would like to try and do. They might then practice it in training. Um, so that in the race environment, then they've they've planned it, they've prepared for it, and uh, and and they know that it works for them. And you do hear some people, I guess, like you say, it wouldn't work for everybody, and there's no sort of one answer for for all. But you hear about some people counting. Yeah, sim- yeah, exactly. Simple strategies such as counting uh, the number of strides. You know, say counting the number of strides between two lampposts or three lampposts or whatever it might be. Singing songs in heads. You know, is another one people um, like to, you know, listen to music beforehand, think about particular songs that they think they might that might motivate them at a particular time. And um, I, I think another thing, a lot of athletes have role models or, you know, heroes within their sport who, who they really admire. They've probably read their biographies or lots of things about them. So they, they've read things that may have worked for their role model. So some of them like to copy you know, and, and, and choose ideas from other people, which I think is another great idea as well. That's, yeah, I think that's, um, you can sort of like almost imagine, yeah, you kind of like being in someone else's shoes, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And and, 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 and that brings me to another technique that some people like is, is when people are finding things particularly difficult, they imagine that other people sometimes are watching them. Okay. They're watching them, and, and it's like, well, how would I like people to be viewing me at the moment? You know, what what would what would they like to see in my technique? If they thought I was a confident athlete, how might I look? Um, how might they think my form is? And it, it's just a way of giving you that extra kind of um, extra oomph, extra bit of motivation to, to to change things around. If you imagine someone's watching you. And do you know um, Helen of? Um you know, any sort of athletes off the top of your head who have used sports psychology and almost like completely turned their performances around because they've worked on the mental side of things. Jill Fullen, who I worked with recently in the lead up to Kona, and she has said uh, the difference that psychology made to her 
because she had a very difficult uh, time last year. She uh, felt that she was not in a great place psychologically going to, into Kona uh, this year. So she came to me and said, you know, I, I, I've never worked on, on this before. I'd, I'd really like to try and see because I feel like I need something. Um, you know, and, and can you help? So um, I worked with her in the in the weeks, a few months leading up to Kona, where I drew, drew out her strengths from her. And we worked on confidence um, prior to her race in Ironman. And I met up with her um, afterwards uh, for a cup of coffee and said, so how was it? You know, how, how, how did it go? And she said, you know what, Helen, I think there is something in this sports psychology. <laughs> I really think there is. Um, I do, I, you know, I, I really do think it can make a difference. And I've I, she worked really hard at it. She uh, really invested in it and put in a lot of effort to try and turn her thinking around because she recognised that her thinking was not helpful. Um, so I think she's she's a great example of somebody who uh, it's made a very, very big difference for. Another example that um, I like to quote was um, a swimmer who uh, was 12 years old who for two years had physically thrown up before every single swimming race that she ever did. And as you probably know, 12-year-old swimmers in a swimming club, they swim pretty much most weekends. And she was physically sick before every race, but she loved swimming so much she didn't want to give it up. But she, she it was obviously very debilitating for her. She still raced, it didn't stop her racing, but her nerves got so great that she, she uh, physically vomited. And I worked with her where we did a, a, a whole pre-race routine where we did a lot of visualization, a lot of, um, we literally planned everything that she would do, what she would think, activities that she would take herself through prior to her race. And we practiced it and practiced it and we, um, she, she, would, she recorded it on her phone, she spoke it out loud to me, she practiced it with her mum. And she now goes to swimming races and for the first time in only two years, she does, she's not sick anymore. That's amazing. Yeah, so it really, it really can have a, a really big impact. Obviously, you know, I'm, I'm biased being a sports psychologist, but I do think the, the more people invest in it, the more you, you open up ideas for new things, um, learn about yourself, and, and can take yourself to, to places that you haven't been to before, which can really help you. It's brilliant. And you've done quite a lot of work with Lucy Gossage, and you're putting some videos together, aren't you? What what's what is that well it's funny i i um it, it's been i i've done some recording for for a company previously and i'd really enjoyed it and it's sort of been at the back of my mind that oh you know i i i think you know i could maybe put together a kind of package of something that would be helpful to people in preparation for a race and again it had been in my mind and like all these things you know it stays at the back of your mind and you don't actually do anything about it and I I was at an open water swimming event and um, a friend of mine came up to me and said I you know that talk that you gave I don't know it was probably about six months previously he said I still keep going back to it and there were some really interesting things in that talk and I'm still I'm still kind of thinking about them and I, and I think it'd be really useful for people have you ever thought of doing a series of videos or something like that that would be helpful to people and I said well it's funny you should say that because I have actually thought about it but I've just not done anything about it and that actually spurred me on um, he's somebody who's done an Ironman before and he said I think it would be really interesting to do it with Ironman and you work with Lucy such a lot how about you join forces and do something together 
And it just so happened that I was going to be seeing Lucy that week. So I sort of said, Lucy, I've got this idea. You know, what, what do you think? Um, and we were sitting in the garden in the sunshine and she said, do you know what, Helen, I think it's a good idea. If it was a rubbish idea, I'd tell you it was a rubbish idea. But I don't think it is. I think it's a good idea. I think we should do it. And it's kind of snowballed from there. Um, and, uh, we're, yeah, we're, we're, we're just in the process of um, getting it together at the moment. And so what what is it going to be? Videos to help people doing any distance triathlon or long distance triathlon? So we're looking at um, specifically, I guess, Ironman athletes who are preparing for doing their first Ironman or maybe they haven't done that many Ironman before and they feel that they could improve their psychological preparation. The idea is it's a course of six videos and the six videos take you up to the race. So each video kind of follows sequentially on from the other. So you can kind of do it in your own time, at your leisure. But I kind of recommend that you watch one video per week in the lead up to your race with the final video kind of being the week before your race. And in amongst the videos, there's obviously content about some of the things that, you know, we've been talking about today, um, but also takes you through a sort of process that I would do if I was working with somebody on an individual one-to-one -one basis. Now, I've had a, a couple of um, questions through as well. Um, one of them is, uh, it's along the sort of, it's along the lines of feelings and I guess trying to control the mind rather than letting your mind control you. And they're sort of asking about how do you practice the, the good feelings and the good vibes when they think it all just feels a bit ridiculous and a little bit fake. Yeah, it's funny. I uh, I was just talking to swimmers about positivity at the weekend, and and, and po posit being positive, um, I I appreciate can be very very difficult, particularly in such a long race. To remain positive for all of that period of time um, can actually be quite unrealistic um, and actually quite exhausting. I think it's um, it's not just about being positive for me. Yes, positivity and having positive thinking absolutely has its place and would be extremely helpful. But really for me, it's more about learning to be an effective thinker and understanding which are helpful thoughts and unhelpful thoughts. So if you are experiencing a really difficult period of time in an Ironman, to sit there and say, oh, actually I feel great, when you really don't feel great, it's, it's you know, it, it's, it, it's irritating, I think, for people to to be given loads of positive things when they're not actually feeling it. So for me, it's knowing that pos positive thoughts is important, but learning to be an effective thinker is all about acknowledging that maybe you're having a difficult time, acknowledging that it's hard, acknowledging that you don't know quite how you're feeling at the moment, but being able to turn your thinking around to a more helpful route that's actually going to help you in the long run. And that's a skill and it's difficult and requires a lot of practice. So I wouldn't just say, oh, just try and be positive because that's not necessarily being effective because it's maybe not being realistic. And so that might go back to like what you were saying before about, okay, at that point then you're acknowledging that you're not in a great place. You don't want to pretend it's all happy-dappy when actually it's really not so perhaps then try to switch that mind to focus on like the technique or what all those little things that you were saying before yeah so 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 it can be that again if you've prepared for this in advance that you can kind of like have a reset button 
you know, it's like I'm going to allow myself to, you know, find this difficult for a while, but I'm then going to reset myself. And to reset myself, I'm going to plan to think about certain things. So beforehand, I, I know which places I want to take myself to. It might be thinking about your strengths that you know that you have. Nobody can take those strengths away from you. You know what your physical strengths are. Taking yourself to a race that you've done before where you found it difficult and actually you've coped and you've managed and you've managed to get through it. Therefore, you can trust that although it's hard right now, I know I've done this before, so I can do it again. I like the idea of the reset button, Helen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the reset button. There's lots of things. And again, you know, some people like I've, I've had a, a big red stop sign recently with an Ironman athlete, you know, to stop. You know, I'm going to physically stop myself from having these negative thought buttons and this big red stop sign comes in front. And again, these are conversations that I would have working with clients as to what would resonate with you. You know, what what do you like the sound of? And just the comment that you made there is things resonate with people. I might say something to one person and they might be like, meh, meh, don't like the sound of that. And then you say something else and they're like, oh, yes, yes. And it speaks to somebody. And that's when we can use that as part of the planning. That's great. And then I've had some other uh, questions in from um, Matt Wackett, who is interested to know, is there like a, a most common sort of common, I don't know, common sort of queries, common problems, common, yeah, common sort of difficulties that athletes come to you with? I, I think probably the number one thing that people come to me with um, is their lack of confidence so and then that might be for a whole host of reasons why they've come but it could be you know a series of poor performances that they've had um it may be that they just don't feel they're getting the best out of themselves that they're feeling they're being particularly negative maybe they've had things going on in their life that have made training particularly difficult and they're just feeling they haven't got as much confidence as they used to have um so I'd probably say that that's the thing that, that that people come to with initially. Conversations obviously can develop from that, which might take us down different avenues. But um, it, it's an underlying thing. And as I said before, it's such a key ingredient for performance. I think even if somebody generally would describe themselves as a confident athlete, it's still something to work on and try and keep that confidence as robust as possible. And are there any little things day to day that we can all do to perhaps improve our confidence? I think noticing the good stuff. Noticing the good stuff um, is is such a simple thing, really. I, I like to describe it sometimes like an apple. So if you imagine you're going to a fruit bowl and there's an apple there and there's a little bruise on the apple, it's so easy for us to put all our focus on that bruise and say, oh, I'm not going to eat that apple because there's a bruise there. And we forget to realize that the rest of the apple is crispy and juicy and it's, and it's great. And so we might just, just put all our focus on the bruise. And so if we can learn to put our focus on the rest of the apple and the stuff that is going well, so even if we've had that poor training session, we can still pick up on the things that we have done well. Over time, on a day-to-day -day basis, those sorts of things feed into your confidence. Again, Helen, there you go. There's two things now that resonated with me. I like the apple one as well. <laughs> You'll look at a fruit bowl differently. <laughs> I think I might. <laughs> and another question, um, again, 
which I think is quite an interesting one actually from Matt. He says, do you believe there to be merit in training the brain as well as the body during like a macro, meso, micro cycle or during a specific session? Again, for me, working on psychology is something which I think is works best for people when it's drip fed over a period of time. So, you know, if you're like, right, I'm going to work on my psychology in this session, chances are it's going it, to, yes, it absolutely can have short-term benefit, but it's probably not going to have then long-term benefits. So it takes time, it takes commitment, it takes investment on somebody's part in order to do it. So practicing it through all of those cycles is only going to benefit you in the long run. If you're needing something that's quick, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I, I work in teams and quite often I have very limited time with athletes. So very much kind of solution focused approaches within short training periods, you know, a particular race absolutely can be very effective in that moment. But I think if you're wanting it to to benefit you over a period of time, it's something which you can incorporate and try to incorporate as much as you can in your day-to-day. I mean, I feel, you know, I, I work in sports psychology all the time. You know, I'm a competitive swimmer. I work at this stuff daily myself. You know, it doesn't come easily. It's not It's not like we, we just become experts overnight in this, you know, that there are – there. It's it, it, it does take practice. And, and just like anything, you practice it, you do get better at it. And then this, this is a useful question as well. What would your – top three techniques for mental preparation be um, for sporting competition? Well, number one, I would certainly say become that effective thinker. Um, it, it, it's, it can be so, it's so useful and really can help you to shift your thinking to more helpful routes in your training, in deep, dark moments, in a, in a difficult race, pre-race when you're in the toilet, you know, uh, and I'm waiting and anticipating the race and having all those nerves, you know, and and learning to be the most effective thinker that you can would be number one. Number two is work daily at self-confidence. So it's so important and and little things that you can do to help yourself with that. And thirdly is play to your strengths. Know what you're good at. Um, Elite performers are really, really good at doing that. If you ask elite performers, you know, what, what are your strengths, maybe in the three different disciplines, they'd be able to list them. Generally, it's a question I ask a lot of people when I when I, uh, I meet them for the first time, and they're very good at saying, oh, "Well, I'm good at this," oh, but actually, I, I I wasn't very good at doing that last week. And then they go into easily the things that they're not so good at, the bruise on the apple, yeah. And so it's all about, well, what what you know, what am I good at? What are my strengths? And am, am I tapping into them? You know, so often in performance, our strengths remain untapped, and so. Part of my job is finding out what those strengths are and tapping into them and saying, well, let's use them to the best effect in your racing. Helen, I reckon you can help so many people. Oh, my goodness. So where should they come to um, if they would like to find out more about maybe working with you? So I, most of my inquiries come through my website, thinkbelieveperform.co.uk. Uh, you can read a lot of articles that I've written on there, uh, mainly outdoor swimming uh, articles because I write for the Outdoor Swimming magazine. But there's, there's things on there which, which give you examples of things that I do and the different sorts of athletes that I work with. I guess I do work with a lot of triathletes, but I work in a huge range of sports as well and with coaches too. So, um, 
yeah, lots of information on there. Perfect. Um, Helen, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Helen mentioned it there that she is linking up with Lucy Gossage and, and they've been working hard to develop Iron Mind, which are six videos, like a masterclass in all about mindset for if you're doing an Ironman or any other endurance sports. It's at thinkbelieveperform.co.uk forward slash iron dash mind. And they are running an early bird discount. So for £90 until the end of January, you can use the code earlybird25 and get a discount there. I know it's been a bit of a bumper episode, but if it has helped you through a run, through a long turbo, whatever, if you're feeling more inspired, if you're feeling a little bit more mentally prepared maybe, or just thinking, you know what, I better start engaging my brain a bit more when it when it comes to that mindset, then I would love to hear from you on social media. You can get in touch at Inside Try Show on Twitter and on Instagram as well. So please, if there are posts up there, do like them, do comment. It just helps me to really spread the word. And if you like the show as a whole, then please just tell someone else about it. And already, depending on when you're listening to this, but within the first four weeks, I had hit four and a half thousand downloads. So I was pretty chuffed with that just from starting and yeah four weeks in so I think I'm doing something right which is always um, reassuring but obviously I wouldn't even be anywhere near those numbers at all if it wasn't for you so a massive thank you for all of your support so far if you do want to support me a little bit more then writing a positive review is always welcome but also if you wouldn't mind thinking about buying me a coffee every so often I would really really appreciate it so you can become a patron of the show all you need to do is head over to patreon.com forward slash inside try show and then you can sign up there you can be a coffee buddy you can be a vino buddy you can be a training buddy so different sort of levels and massive thank you this week Amanda Benstead and Jane McIntyre for both signing up to be a coffee buddy and that was a really nice little Christmas treat for me so I am very very grateful so patreon.com forward slash inside try show for all of the details about how you can support me to continue to provide you with episodes like this other inspiring interviews etc etc it all goes a massive way in helping and honestly I do love doing the podcast I like talking to people and then the other thing I wanted to tell you about was I was on the other end of a podcast interview um the other day with my friend in Denmark Lasse and he I met him at Ironman Copenhagen and he's been so so supportive and yeah he he's got a brilliant podcast and he's massive in Scandinavia and uh, and he had said yeah Helen I, I, I want to get you on so if you want to go and hear a little bit more about me um, and how I got into podcasting and my background with the BBC and all that kind of stuff then I'll put the link in the show notes and then you can find it there um, but there you go. If you've got another training session, it might it might pass a little bit more time. Um, if you want to find out anything more about Inside Tri Show, then you can head over to insidetrishow.com 
or you can head over to helenmurray.net and all of the show notes will be there. So links to Think, Believe, Perform, links to Joe Mosley, all of that kind of stuff. It is all there. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you've had a good Christmas and you continue to have, um, yeah, enjoy some time off with your family and friends and things like that. Keep it fun and we'll speak next time. Sports Social Podcast Network.